Hello and welcome to Activist Listening, the podcast where I, Sophie Clark, get to sit down with people that I massively admire and talk to them about the movements that they are a part of and that they are leading. Today on the pod, I have my very good friend, Marissa Edmondson, Middlebury class of, well, technically 2020, but with the pandemic, class of 2019.75. I was lucky enough to actually see Marissa in DC two weeks ago, and she made a joke about how on her, the pandemic year after graduation, she, quote, accidentally started a nonprofit, end quote. But honestly, if I were to pick anyone who would spend their pandemic year starting a radical movement, I would definitely pick Marissa. The movement that she so-called accidentally started was the push to decolonize Delta County School District, which is the school district that includes Paonia, Colorado, the town that Marissa grew up in. Coming out of the surge of Black Lives Matter protests this summer, Marissa and her classmate Jordan Evans launched the Instagram for decolonizing Delta County. It started off as mainly a testimonial page of racist treatment in Delta County, but it was launched alongside an open letter to the school district asking for the district to help dismantle the district's racist atmosphere. Since then, the page has grown into a movement, one of its successes including launching the Anti-Racism Library Project, which started off as Marissa and her fellow activists buying books about the BIPOC experience by BIPOC authors, which are now being placed into schools in the district. They're also now co-sponsoring a book club in the district to discuss these texts. You can find out more at her Instagram page, which is at decolonizingdcsd. In one of the hardest years we've ever lived through, Marissa has managed to change lives for the better. I am so excited to talk with her today about her movement. So please welcome Marissa Edmondson. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm so honored you asked me. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Seriously, thank you. I'm really, I'm actually really excited to like talk to you in a formal way about this because I've been chatted <laughs> about it before, but this is awesome. So thank you. We're just going to start off with some like get to know you questions, like about three from this. So the question that I ask everybody um, is what is your most controversial non-political opinion? So I had to like think about this for a little bit, not gonna lie. I was like, oh my God, do I have any controversial opinions that are, are not political? <laughs> um, turns out I have two highly controversial opinions that are not political. Okay. Number one, I think Taylor Swift's folklore is too peppy. I really don't like it. It's, it's too peppy? Too peppy. I, I literally exile phenomenal song. The only reason it's a phenomenal song is because Bonnie Bear is in it and his voice literally just like pulls at my heartstrings. And the rest of the album is just, I couldn't listen, I couldn't get through it. It was so peppy. I was like, this is just too happy. So that's my number one controversial opinion because I know everybody loved Taylor Swift's folklore album and then the next one. And I was just like, meh, it's too happy. My second one is that the correct way to sleep in a bed is to have your feet out from under the covers. <laughs> okay, so this is supposed to be like a kind space, but like that's how that's how you die. Like that's how the monsters get you in your sleep. <laughs> I know. So when I was little, I would I it didn't I would put the covers over my head because that's if I was like, oh, if I can't see the monsters, they cannot get to me but my feet just get so hot when I sleep. Oh, um, 
my my roommate's senior year told me I was a quote monster for that opinion. Um, so those are my two highly controversial opinions. I fully stand by them. I know they're very weird, but you know what? I fully respect you for standing by them. Um, I guess the short blanket industry has a friend in you, which is something. <laughs> I love that. Now I know so much more about you. <laughs> it's weirdly telling. Um, yeah, no, I just got covers <laughs> over my feet. Like I cannot, I can't deal with it. That's going to disturb me for a while. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of somebody who sticks to your guns, I guess my next question is when did you first become aware of the idea of a protest? Like the idea that protesting could do something or just like you saw a protest and you're like what's that like wow that's a good question um so my education we actually did not learn that much in high school about like the civil rights movement so in terms of like the power of a protest i i don't think i really grasped that until i was probably after Donald Trump and first seeing the Women's March happen for the first time. Obviously, there's some issues with that whole thing. Sometimes it's not as intersectional as you hope, but I think that was the first time I actually saw, you know, millions of women come out and say, no, like, we're not going to deal with this. Um, but I also will go back to uh, the first protest I went to, which was actually with you in Washington, D.C., um, was your camp's protest uh, in front of the White House when Trump was there. Um, but I think like fully actually grasping the amount of like political change it can do was really this summer and watching everything unfold after George Floyd's murder. Um, so yeah. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, I remember that protest in DC and it started pouring with rain. Yeah, and we we're like, oh no, we had to run back, and it was like literally the sky like opened up, and we had our like signs, and we were just like running back because none of us thought to bring an umbrella. Yeah, our cardboard um, signs, super helpful in the rain. <laughs> definitely one of my like all-time best protest moments um, and memories was like running back from that in the rain, and I yeah. also thought we did hear some like super powerful voices. Mm. Um, even though it was a small protest, I, you know, I still really kind of like felt it and felt the community, which I think is really important. If you can't really feel the community, it just, it doesn't feel like a full protest, you know? Yeah. And actually, um, off of that, so you said that you've heard the voices and you felt, you felt community and you saw people there who you felt solidarity with. Um, so is, is there a specific person that you look up to in particular as an activist or someone that you model yourself on? There's so many. Um, man, okay, so I'm gonna give some like folks from the past, but I think John Lewis and Fred Hampton, mm. uh, I really admire. I think specifically Fred Hampton, just the way he was able to kind of command a room and not just talk to a specific you know group of people, but really work on like solidarity across all of these different lines to fight one and achieve one goal I thought was incredibly powerful. Also, I mean, the fact that he was, you know, younger than me is, I like still sometimes cannot get over that. Um, and I don't think he gets enough credit for like the actual political like movement he created in Chicago. And so I think, you know, folks that are no longer alive, I would say John Lewis, Fred Hampton, there's a whole other host 
Um, but I've also really been inspired by the uh, Warriors in the Garden group um, out of New York City. Um, they Who's really kind of have, um, they have really kind of been leading the way with all of these protests that we've been seeing in New York since Whoa. June. Um, and they are all like very young um, activists that just kind of stepped up in the moment. And a lot of them, you know, will say like, I didn't, I don't want to be like an activist my whole life. Like I have a lot of other things. I just, the moment needed me. And so they stepped up and I've just been very impressed as to how they've managed to build like a massive movement. They will have like the protests that they organize are big and very broad. And I think that, you know, obviously New York city is a big city. I'm not going to be able to organize anything of that size in, in Paonia, but I still think like people do, people do lose momentum, unfortunately, in this work. Um, and you kind of see that and, you know, their, their personalities, their leadership, the way they kind of have led these protests in New York, like, they still are powerful almost a year later, like very powerful. Um, and so I think that's something I really look up to is just how to sustain a movement, not just start it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such an important point. I think that was a big thing that I saw this summer of like timelines of the civil rights movement and people being like, look, it didn't go from like Selma to I have a dream. Like that's not what happened. Yeah. It was like day after day, year after year, people fighting and dying. And like, you have to like buckle in, like it's gonna be a long. It's, it's not like trip. big glamorous stuff, you know, like, oh, it all culminated and I have a dream. And then, you know, that's yeah. it. Like, no. I just I am I am impressed that how how well they've actually been able to sustain the New York kind of movement and collaborate with lots of other smaller like groups in the city to not just like protest on the streets but do a lot of like mutual aid stuff in New York mm, huge um, which I think is really cool so I love I what you said about them <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah I'd love to hear more about them honestly um but I love what you said about them being like oh like we didn't plan to be activists like this just happened and I think that's such an important point because so often you're like, oh, this person is an activist. And it's like, no, this person was going about their daily lives. Someone was, you know, let's say shot by the police in their neighborhood. And all of a sudden they're like, we have to do something about it. And I think that segues actually really well into talking to you about your movement, because I guess like a week and a half ago now we were talking and you were like, oh yeah, like I accidentally started an NGO and like you're off. And I'm like, nobody accidentally starts an NGO, but also that's really fun. That's like very well tied into you being like, there was an issue in my town. I've been thinking about it for a while. I needed to do something. And now all of a sudden it's just, well, not all of a sudden, like through a lot of hard work, it's become this huge thing. So I wanted to first off ask you just to give a little background on what the Delta School District is like and what sort of motivated you to get into this work in the first place. Yeah, so I grew up in, rural, rural Colorado um, in Delta County District. And I went to schools in Delta County School District um, from ages like three to 18 about. Um, it is being rural, being Colorado, it is um, very conservative, very evangelical, very white. Um, since 2016, very, very, very pro-Trump. Um, and I mean, honestly, I mean, yeah, racist, <laughs> I, I can't like, you know, try to sidestep around saying that, but so I, you know, my brother and I went to school and, um, oh my gosh, I just realized my computer's 
Oh, and also just quickly, because this is a podcast, in case people don't know, Marissa is a woman of color and her brother is a person of color as well. So yes. important <laughs> background. Yes. Podcast. So um, I, yeah, so I, um, you know, as a woman of color, I went through the school district. My brother did. He actually had a lot worse experiences than like I did during my time there. But I think that time for me was like very formative in a ways that I, I didn't fully realize until college. And then I kind of got to college. I took classes. I talked to people that had similar experiences. And all of a sudden I was able to kind of like talk about my experience in that district and, and what it was like to be in that environment, um, you know, as a Latina woman, as a woman of color, um, like in general. And so I think, you know, when I was in high school, I, I had all these like feelings and I really was unable to like articulate what those feelings were. And it was like feelings of uncomfort. And like, why do I not feel like I fit in? Why, why do I feel like, you know, a whole host of things. And I just, it was very confusing. My parents always say like, why didn't you tell us about what was going on? And I don't know, I just, I don't think I really understood myself what was going on I just I remember having these feelings and then I got to college I took classes and I talked to people and I went and lived in other places and finally I think around like mid-junior year senior year I kind of actually was able to like have the vocabulary to kind of talk about these and a little bit more theoretical but also just like talk about them because I felt like if I brought this up in high school that like I was the only one having this experience and that I was kind of like crazy and everybody would just be like Marissa it's a joke get over it Mm. it was not a joke like I'm sorry racism isn't a joke um no matter how hard some people try to paint it as it's not nobody finds it funny people of color do not find it funny it leads to violence later down the road like that is that is how it starts so I you know then went off to college I never anticipated ever moving back to Paonia because I was like I, I it is a space that I do not feel safe I do not feel comfortable in I have you know changed so much and as I started to kind of express my boundaries and my needs and kind of talk about my experiences, I was met with a lot of like, how dare you, you're slandering, like you had it fine. Basically just got like ostracized by like a lot of people in my town, which was very tough because I had good friends in high school or, you know, so I thought we're good friends. And so I just like never expected to find myself back in Paonia and then cue COVID senior year and I move home. And it's three months of lockdown where every day it's just like, Black and brown people are dying at a higher rate of COVID every single day on the news. And then the day after graduation is when George Floyd dies, or well, is murdered by um, a police officer. So after that happened, I like, you know, I'm in, I'm in this town that is like so pro-police, you know, we just voted to defund our library and that money, like, and fund our police, which I mean- Oh my God. Yeah, no, we literally it's defunded the public library. They took away, they like took away some of the taxes and we're like, nope, but we do need to like give more money to the police so they can get another car. Um, so like that, that is where I was when all of this was going on. And um, it was like two weeks where I just doom scrolled for like hours. And I was like, this is, this is not productive to my mental health. So what am I going to do about it? So I thought back to school and I reached out to my friend, Jordan Evans, who is um, also a woman of color. Um, she's biracial and um 
kind of just talk to her about, you know, what I was feeling, how she was feeling. We were both home because of COVID and we were like, you know what, we should write a letter to our school district on like, hey, here's some things that you guys should do to like address racism because we're going to have this conversation as a country and you you need to come along with it because I mean, I mean they're not, but they are on the wrong side of history. So we were like, you know, we will offer support, but like, here's some stuff that needs to be done. We need to talk about this. At the same time, we launched um, like a Google form so that students, parents could submit testimonies of things that they had either experienced as people of color in the school district or as white bystanders. Um, because like, we just, we don't have, it's a majority white town. So we really kind of had to like open it up a little bit more, you know, I kind of did model this after a lot of things were, that were going on at mid, that were going on in other schools on the East Coast. Um, but because of like where I was, I, I made changes. So we ended up collecting like 50 some testimonies. Um, I interviewed my own brother who had a pretty horrific incident um, with our school and the police. Um, I wrote a testimony, I talked to my parents. We, you know, people that I had never met, people from, you know, 20 years ago were submitting testimonies. And so we collected them and we started sharing them and we, you know, we started a movement. We ended up being invited by the school district to come to a closed door meeting. It went horribly. Um, and after that, I think for me, at least it like just solidified, like I'm in this for the long run. We have since then partnered with a lot of other organizations. So like we are not our own standing like nonprofit. We are kind of like under this umbrella org that deals with community education. Um, and equity and justice issues. Um, and they had already really been fighting for comprehensive sex ed that was inclusive to LGBTQIA folks in our town. And so they were like, this is great. We will fully support you. So I started working with these two women who are absolutely wonderful. And we, you know, mobilized, we got people to come, we held protests. We every single month went to the school board meetings because they would not give us a meeting. So we went in and every single month we would drive two hours round trip to speak for two minutes each, have them just stare at us. And then we turn around and go home and send them a follow-up email saying, hey, can we meet with you to discuss? And we would just be met with silence. So, you know, I, I guess we're going on like nine months, I think, since we launched the letter and the testimonies. And, you know, we've gotten some grants. Um, we started an anti-racist library. So we collected donations and we bought, um, uh, probably 150 books that are written by LGBTQIA and um, BIPOC authors about those experiences because thinking back like I never had access to books like that when I was in high school it was just like white history white characters and I was like oh man this is weird I don't I've never seen myself in literature what so like we that was a big project we've been focusing on and um, we ended up donating that to the school district. So they're in the process of circulating the 150 books around the district. Um, and we've got a lot of like, kind of, um, it's less front facing. Um, so sometimes I think people forget that we're still like working, you know, I work a normal job and then I put in 10 to 20 hours a week, depending wow. on the week to just write letters, go to meetings, write emails, um, all this stuff apply for grants so that we can actually continue doing work. Um, and right now we just we just did get a huge grant to kind of continue this work. So our next step is we're trying to make a countywide coalition that's with businesses and organizations so that we can kind of 
the big thing that we've run into with the district is them not wanting to upset their conservative constituents because those are the people that have the political and economic powder in our town and our county. And so we're trying to kind of insert ourselves in there and say, no, your constituents care about these issues. We have political power. We will run for elections. Um, we will, you know, we have economic power. We bring in tourism. We bring in money to the district. You have to listen to us because at this point they won't even give us a seat at the table. So we're kind of, you know, we tried to go with the school district and work, you know, with them to like get all of this stuff done, but that's not really happening. So we are just going to kind of like cement ourselves in and try to organize. And, you know, as we know, um, conservatives, right-wing people are like, I hate to say it, but they're highly organized. And if you look in like, especially, I mean, our town, I think is a microcosm of that, but like, God, they are so connected. The, the people that give the scholarships to like, the scholarships that I got as a senior in high school are the same people that are like, no, we don't want comprehensive sex ed. No, we're not going to talk about racism. Um, the you know the same stuff that's we're not going to talk about implicit bias. We're we're not going to no, we're not racist because everybody is the same. We we don't see color. All of those like problematic things that like are a base level that if we don't ever talk about just lead to greater violence inflicted on people of color, specifically black people in America. And so, you know, we're at this point just trying to mobilize outside of the community. Say like no, we also have political power and we have people that actually do care about this issue and you will either listen to us or we will vote you out. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, that is so powerful. I didn't, I honestly didn't realize that it had gone beyond like working with the school district and that you're like politically pushing. And I think that's such a huge point that you brought up that like, no, like other people care about this is not just like your constituents aren't terrified of us. Like people want change and people want like a better society. And I think also off of what you said about like, yeah, conservatives are very well organized, but if you look under the surface, like they're organized because of fear, they're all organized by a fear that something that they love is getting taken away from them or like these other people are gonna come in and change things. And like, just by you showing up and being like, things are already changing whether you like it or not. And they're good things. Like, like our life will get better. People will feel better, like more included and more seen. And we're not scary. We're not bad. We're just like trying to improve. Um, I think that can have a real impact on like cracking that veneer of like, oh, we're organized. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. They've they've been around and they've been highly organized. Like, I don't think we've had a non very conservative Republican county commissioner or like school board in, in like, I mean, ever maybe, um, because I don't think, and that's another thing. I don't think people realize how much local politics matter. Like those school oh, board yeah. elections matter because they make the decisions that affects the education of the next generation that is going to either lead us forward or excuse my language, fuck us over. And I don't think people realize like school board elections are important. County commissioner elections are important. Even in the state level, those elections are important. We get so focused on like, oh, <laughs> Biden. But like, honestly, a lot of stuff that Biden does does not is not going to affect me immediately. It's the stuff in my local community that is going to affect me. It is, you know, voting to defund our library and instead send more money to the police. I live in that community. My brother lives in that community. Other people of color live in that community. That that vote just in that local election is going to directly affect them. 
not having access, not having as much access to the library because they had to cut down their hours or whatever because they lost funding will directly affect our lives. And especially in school districts, the power and the policies and how things are being handled, you know, are we getting the best education? Is it the most comprehensive? Is it telling of the entire story and not just the white story? That is like, that is important. I, don't, I just don't think people fully realize that. So there is just like lackadaisical, like ugh, local politics don't matter. Local elections don't matter. And they, oh, do. they matter more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like another thing we are kind of combating um, is that, you know, I hate to say it, Republicans are organized from the national level down to local. And oh, they're local is, yeah. If we yeah. want to, you know, compete and actually like, you know, solve issues, we can solve a lot in the street, of course, by everybody, you know, people going out and protest and saying, we're not going to put up with this. But I mean, currently, we do function under a system where we elect leaders. And so we do kind of need to see that, like, that matters. And especially in local elections, you might, you know, your school board member might be decided by 20 votes. Yeah, so. oh, that's massive. Um, yeah, I guess like for you just giving like the most amazing timeline so thank you I guess within that timeline like, can you think of a time specifically or like a moment that happened that you were really proud of yeah um I think when we are the first time we went to the school board meeting was in July it was after this like pretty demoralizing meeting with the board we were frustrated like we didn't we weren't sure if the community actually was like behind us um, and so we put out a call to action like three days before the school board meeting. Um, I like wrote a speech like literally in the car. Um, we like, it was pretty last minute because again, like we just really didn't know what we were up against. We didn't know how things functioned. We weren't super organized and we showed up and there were like, for a small town, there were like a hundred people standing outside of the school board office during their meeting when me, my friend Jordan, um, the two people that we are working with through, um, this like local nonprofit that kind of is an umbrella org for a lot of like social justice, economic justice, um, migrant worker rights, like in our community, um, they came and spoke with us. And so, you know, five of us went in, we had a current student actually come in and speak. Um, and we all stayed in for the whole time. And then when we like came out, like, you know, a hundred people from the community were outside waiting for us and like clapping. And that was like, that's amazing. Cool to see what we put together in like literally three days. Um, I also was really proud when I, you know, like I said, we've been going to school board meetings. You know, when I was there, I was going monthly. I currently live in DC now, so that's a little harder. I still try to email them before every school board meeting. But, um, you know, every single week, every single month, I would go down and students would come with us like month after month and speak out in front of the school board as like 15, 16, 17 year olds, which I think back to where I was when I was that age, I would not have done that. I would have been too scared. Um, I feel like they're so with it right now. <laughs> like they really know what's up. They are. Like I'm kind way. of impressed and it does make me hopeful. Yeah. Um, so like watching the like young people come to those things and like realize that this does affect me and their voices matter, I think was, I was like really proud. And then also when we, you know, we started this anti-racist library and after about six months, I'd say, I think two weeks ago, we got an email from a librarian at one of the schools and they had put up all of the books they'd received from us on a display that said, thank you to the Learning Council and Decolonizing Delta County School District. Like this is our diversity 
um, display. And it was all I the books that, that. Like, we had researched, curated, like grassroots fundraised for. Um, and so it was just like really, I was like very proud to like see that kind of like play out, you know. I love that. Yeah, and so things. Obviously a lot more I'm proud of, but I think those are three like standout moments for me. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I just love like having just like little recognitions from other people, you know, and especially when, you know, you were saying before, like you felt like you were kind of getting gaslit by people in the community being like, oh, it's not that bad. Like you have it good, don't worry about it. And then to see like people supporting you and to see like librarians putting your books out and like openly celebrating the work you're doing. Like that's really affirming. That's really great. Yeah, it was nice. It was really nice to see, um, I will say <laughs> so. And I guess off of that, if you could go back to last year, so either when you were starting it or maybe right before and give yourself any advice that you've learned over the past year, what would it be? Trust yourself um, and stick by your morals. Yeah, dude, imposter syndrome is so real, <laughs> like, it's brutal. There are a lot of times where I was like, I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I mean, so I still don't know what I'm doing. Like half of the ideas that I like run with, I just like come up with in the shower and I'm like, well, great ideas. You're crushing um, it. And they end up playing out like pretty well. But I do think like there are times when, you know, I, I think a lot, especially people of color, women of color also deal with this, but being told like, you need to tone down your message and your voice and everything mm. because you are like scaring me or you are, a, you know, you are hurting my feelings. And in the beginning, I like really kind of took that to like heart and I would like tone down. And then I was like, you know what? No, like I, I am right here and I should not have to shrink myself to make all of the white people in my community more comfortable. Um, that's, that's dumb. So I think I would say, you know, trust, trust myself and just don't be afraid to take up space. Um, and I also think, man, I'm trying to think how I like exactly phrase this, but, um, you know, yeah, trust, trust myself, take up space and, oh no, I had a third thing that I was going to say that I would totally give myself advice and I totally forgot it. <laughs> Shoot. Oh, um, maybe maybe yeah, you'll remember it for the next one because yeah. my next my next question is somewhat similar. But what advice would you give to other people of color in predominantly white towns who either want to make change or feel trapped by the system or feel like there's so much room for for improvement? Yeah, you gotta be. You can't be afraid to make people uncomfortable. Um, like I hate to say in this world, like there is a chance that you will lose relationships. Um, I unfortunately have lost a lot in the past year um, from high school friends and it's really hard and that can be discouraging, but also just like fear of, you know, again, this is why I didn't do much in high school is like, I wanted to have friends. I wanted to fit in. Um, and I kind of eventually just realized like me confining myself to that space was just harming me more than anybody. Um, and so like, yeah, don't be afraid to take up space and let yourself grow. And, you know, you can mourn all those hardships, but don't let that like deter you because you will form 
other incredible relationships with people that are ready to work with you. And those will be ultimately, I think, more meaningful and stronger. But I think that was like a really big fear in the beginning was like, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. So I'm not going to like, I'm not going to say things. And also like you, people, people like to discredit you if you're young, especially, um, but also like, you know, women, uh, people of color, like you don't have the credentials to do this. Why should we listen to you? Um, and I think like, don't let that, <laughs> don't listen to that. That's crap. They should be listening to you because you are the person that all of their policies affect. And so if they're going to listen to anybody, it should be you. The goddamn right you have the credentials. Like you were there. <laughs> you yeah. Lived this. I've lived through it. I know what the school district is like. I know what, like, I know how the policies affect me and affect my friends. Um, and so, yeah, you should listen to me, even though like I am 22, 23, fresh out of college and like still learning a lot. Um, but yeah, man, there was something else I was going to say and it's just, whew, it's okay. That's <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, I think those things are like really important. Um, I guess. Um, from the, from what you said about losing friends, which, which just sucks. I'm so sorry. Like that sucks. Yeah, it's tough. It's not fun. It's terrible. I don't wish it on anybody. Hopefully no. your friends, if they're true friends will grow with you and you guys can have the hard conversations, but it does happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, that's just, mm. but off of, off of that. And also, I mean, what you were saying before about how like you never imagined going back to Peonia, like that was that was over like you were not planning on moving there after college or going there during a pandemic and now all of a sudden you're running like this nonprofit where you're super involved in Peonia all the time um how are you looking after yourself like what are you doing to make sure that you're okay I mean I moved to DC <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm still very connected, but it is a little bit harder because I, I did move for a job and ultimately there were a lot of like opportunities for me to actually make enough money to kind of sustain myself. Um, but while I was in Paonia, I, you know, I did surround myself with like people that were super dedicated and try to have like a couple nights a week that you don't focus on anything. And guess what? I remembered exactly what I was going to say earlier because it Ooh, <laughs> boundaries. Sick. Yeah. setting boundaries and understanding what you are capable of doing given your current mental physical and emotional state and making those clear because in the beginning everybody was coming to me oh can you do this can you do this you you're an organizer you you know like at one point somebody was like you should get involved with the redistricting of Colorado and I was like I mean I'm, I'm honored that you thought of me but like I, I work a full-time job I don't you like People that step into the role of activists cannot be your catch-all because other people are like too lazy to like do the work, mm -hmm. do the research and actually like get their hands dirty and like get in the community and do things themselves. And so, but I just like took on all of that. I was like, oh yeah, I'll speak to you. Like, oh yeah, I'll like go on, you know, sometimes people would just call and want to like sit down and like rant about them feeling guilty as a white person that I was like, oh yeah, I'll listen. Oh, and it was heavy. so draining. Like I was just constantly exhausted and I would just get so irritable. And I finally was like, damn, like what, how do I, how do I like create boundaries so that I don't just burn out because I cannot, you know, 
even on like even on Instagram, I had to make like boundaries because I would say things. Oftentimes, I would say like I don't. I'm sharing this because this is my opinion. I I'm not ready to get literally write a dissertation in my DMs to a random person that I haven't talked to in five years that wants to debate me about like my humanity or other people's humanity. Like, no, that's just not how you, and I think there's like a very, like, unfortunately, I think a lot of white people like don't understand how like exploitive and toxic that is for people of color when they're like, you educate me. Um, Here's an issue. Can you solve it? Like in the beginning, I had so many white women coming out and saying, this is great, but can you also address rape culture? and toxic masculinity. And I was like, those are really important, but like, no, I don't have the capacity to do that. And when I would ask them to like, hey, can you sign my petition? Can you share this? Can you come to a protest? I would be met with dead silence. So like, if people are not willing to equally contribute to any type of relationship, don't do it. If you are going to offer your time, make sure you are paid for it or set a boundary where you get something out of it. Like you can't just go around and give all of your time, energy, expertise, emotional. And I'd also think like, again, sometimes white people don't realize that like them just wanting to like listen to me talk about my trauma in high school, like weirdly, I think it's cathartic for some white people to listen to, but it's a lot for me to recount all the time. And so like, I think it took me like months to actually finally set boundaries and be like, no, if I'm going to come in and offer advice to a parent that's trying to a parent that is trying to organize within the school like please make a donation to the fund so that we can continue doing our work please make a venmo to me like yeah my labor is not free my time my energy my emotional state is like not free and so i think you know setting boundaries really was how i was able to like maintain some amount of sanity and also it's definitely advice that I would offer to people because it took me about six months to figure that out. And the first six months I was literally just exhausted and crying all the time and like didn't know how to like balance things because I didn't set boundaries. Um, on a more fun note, I also got very into mountain biking when I was at home. Like I did like 900 miles when I was home oh on the track trails uh, eight minutes from my house. Um, there's a couple locals that are like, oh, you were the girl out there every single day with the yellow backpack and a sports bra. And I was like, that was me. <laughs> so I would just like peace out. I would try to, you know, give myself a couple hours where I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't thinking about stuff. And I just go, you know, blast my music and bike around by myself in the out in like nature and maybe watch the sunset, you know, maybe just like sit and watch the deer and just like take some time. So that was another thing I did for like just, you know, su sustaining me, self-care, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, got really into mountain biking. I love it. I'm so sad that DC doesn't have mountain biking anymore. I'm just like, oh, road biking. Oh my God, mountain biking scares me so much. You were so it much braver than I am. Too when I started, I was utterly terrified. And my dad is like very, very patient and like would take me out on rides and walk me through everything. And like, God damn, I miss it so much. <laughs> So yeah, just, you know, finding something that you like enjoy doing and can just like turn off your phone. I'm yeah. still really bad about like turning off my phone at like 11 PM, like I should, um, and not like, oh, something pops into my head and I need to do it at one in the morning on my phone. Like that's not healthy either. I'm pretty bad at that, but like blocking up those times every day for me to just go mountain biking. It's like, I'm not gonna look at my phone. I'm not gonna answer calls. I'm just gonna like go out and enjoy myself. Um, 
So yeah, that's a little, on a, on a lighter note, yeah, I got pretty good at mount, mountain biking. And I love that for you. <laughs> that's amazing. I had like kind of strong like shoulders from it. I was like, ooh. Oh yeah. <laughs> I definitely fell off my bike a few times though. Like fully. It's so scary. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Um, but yeah. Oh boy. Um, all right. Well, um, my last question for you before we play a little game at the end is what are your future plans with decolonization with this movement, if you have any? Yeah. So like I said, we're really, we're really starting to kind of branch out into the community a little bit more because we've we've really tried to work with the school district, but we're right now trying to just build like general political, economic power, uh, mutual aid infrastructure like in our community so that we can really kind of figure out like what are the needs of our community? What are the needs specifically of the vulnerable communities in Delta County? Um, for us, mostly that is um, the Latino community. Um, we have a lot of migrant workers. Um, I meant to ask, sorry, really quickly, how big is Delta County? I totally meant to ask this a while ago. Yeah, it's, oh God, I would say maybe in total like 40,000, 50,000. Okay. It's, it's not large. Like I think Paonia in city limits is about 2,000 people. Oh. And that's just like one of the towns. Delta is probably bigger, but it, it's a small county. It's it's rural. Like um, most of most of our towns don't have stoplights. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, um, I graduated with um, 38 kids from my class. So oh my goodness, that kind of gives you a little like scope of the size. So yeah, there's just not a lot of like mutual aid kind of infrastructure. Um, you know, actually going in and talking with like the first gen migrant workers, um, like Latino community in our county. Like, I definitely was very like isolated because my my dad is first gen. Um, so it's my grandmother that immigrated from South America. Um, my parents are both college educated. We live on the, you know, in Paonia, which is majority white. Most of that community lives in Delta, which is the other side of the county. So we're really trying to like branch out to kind of all aspects of our community and really like create ties um, so that we can offer aid. We can see how we can support these communities. Um, and also, you know, do this coalition so that we actually have some like economic, political bargaining power within the district and say like, hey, half the constituents here actually do give a shit about these issues. Um, and we have power, we have economic power, we have political power, we can vote out people that we don't want. There probably will be, you know, we will try to work with like um, school board elections, county commissioner elections in the future. Um, so really just kind of like trying to become a very organized entity in Delta County that has enough people that are dedicated that all of the work does not fall on like three of us because it's overwhelming and exhausting, but yeah. also so that we can use that like, you know, collective power to bargain and get stuff done. So that's kind of like where I see it going. There's like a lot of stuff I'm really excited to share in the future. We're still just like finalizing some of the stuff behind you know, before we make it like super, super public, but I definitely just see like building coalitions, making connections within those communities, um, seeing how we can support what are their needs and, you know, organizing politically for local elections. Yeah, that is so exciting. I'm so excited to find out more in the future, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and also to anyone who's listening, who wants to find out more, you can follow Decolonizing DCSD on Instagram. Yeah, I get all follow. My um, 
if you know me, it's in my bio. I probably talk about it like all the time. So yeah, yeah. It's fascinating and important. That's yeah, why. follow. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alrighty, so um, at the end of every episode, I play a game where I read you three quotes that are by people who are against the movement that you're running. And they could be real, they could be fake, and you have to guess whether it's real or fake. Um, I tried to find some specifically about yours, but the big like op-ed that was against like um, Delta School District was like removed for legal reasons, which, yeah, (laughs) I don't know what's going on there. Oh, I'm curious if it was the op-ed where um, the editor of our local paper said that I was trying to ban books like they did in 1984, the book. I I think that was, yeah, I don't know. It was like from, I guess, a local paper and it was like, what are these kids doing? And then yeah, oh, they were, and it was they removed. Were pissed. I got, whew, yeah, I kind of got raked in that, that op-ed. Oh, That's right. hilarious that it got removed. Yeah, I couldn't find it online anywhere. So I had to find some broader quotes about decolonization, <laughs> which weren't as fun, but whatever. Oh my God, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like clicked on a bunch of different links that I thought would get me to it and they were all removed. So interesting. Oh, all right. Yeah. Alrighty, so my first quote is, decolonizing, what's next? Having more than a month to celebrate black history? Am I supposed to guess now or at the end? Because that no. sounds, uh, literally sounds like about 10 DMs that I've got. Oh no. Okay, well, I made that up. I thought that was far-fetched, but I guess not. Oh no. Oh dear. Wow. <laughs> no, I've gotten DMs that are very similar to that. I would not like to spend a day in your DMs, Marissa. No, neither do I. <laughs> All righty, well, the next one is the quote-unquote chasm in information is all on the other side, I'm afraid, with children not being taught that many Europeans have been enslaved throughout history, too. Oh, God, that's totally real. I've also had people send me, um, well, did you know the Irish were enslaved? Don't even get me started on that whole, yeah. literally, I'm pretty sure that whole thing actually, like, um, Southern Poverty Law, I'm pretty sure they traced that back to, like, white supremacy conspiracy theorists, so. I mean, it was good. definitely, like, Irish, like, indentured servitude that was, but you could also, like, you could work your way out of it, which isn't still a good thing, but. Yeah, very different. I've, I've, somebody yeah. sent me an article about that at one point, so I'm going to say real. <laughs> yeah, real, real. It's from an op-ed in The Spectator, that's a British conservative magazine. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I would not recommend reading this whole op-ed. I'm, I can't, it's burned into my brain. <laughs> I'm very mad about it. I read a couple Facebook posts that go on very similar tangents. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> All right, and my last one is, the fact that they're giving us books to read proves how violent this movement is. Books can be thrown. They're a weapon. Oh, God. I mean, I'm gonna say fake, but also I would not be surprised. It's fake, it's fake, I made it up. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> are these the same people that are telling us that how we can deter an active shooter is by throwing books at them instead of just, Who I don't said know, that? assault ruffles? Did somebody say that? I mean, that was what we were taught is that like we should throw things at the oh shooter. Oh my God. That's like what a lot of American, like people in high school, like. Like keep you have you ever heard the like keep cans of soup in your backpacks? You can throw it at a shooter. 
No, people, because of my accent, forget that I did not grow up in this country. I did not. No, that's, that's a real not thing. Something. That's a real thing. They would say, like, throw oh your God. textbooks at them or keep cans of soup in your backpack if there is an active shooter situation in the school because then you can throw them. That that was their advice instead of just, like, I don't know, maybe we should, like, have gun laws that are not absurd. Oh I yeah. don't. I well, don't. I'm glad that that's fake. Uh, I would have been really concerned. I mean, I'm concerned that people told you to bring soup. <laughs> what the hell? Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. Okay. Holy cow. Oh my I god. Hey, like getting hit with a can of soup would probably hurt, but like. So would a bullet? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> clearly, that's not how we're gonna solve this issue. So, um, welcome to American god. public schools. I just, I, I really don't get it. Like, I just, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't either. And I have lived here my whole life. Oh my God. So. All right. Well, well very, yeah. My very last question, just because I know you have to run, but my last question for you is, is there anything else that you would like to add? Like, did I like skip a question that you wanted to answer? Or is there something that you feel like I didn't ask that you want to talk about? Um, yeah. So just your space. Man, I mean, like, honestly, at the very beginning, when I kind of, like, got this idea, I didn't really expect it to go anywhere past, like, a letter that we sent into the school district, and it's it's just, you know, it's crazy how much all of this has, like, grown, and all of, you know, the new ways in which we're organizing and doing stuff, which is, like, is really cool, but um, I will say, like, I definitely was inspired by a lot of people I went to school with at MID, Obviously, MID has its issues, but, you know, there are some cool people, there are some cool people um, when all of this happening that were sharing stuff that their communities were doing. And, you know, without like that, I wouldn't have gotten like some of these ideas, like, oh, I can actually do something. I was just doom scrolling for like two weeks. Mm. Um, and then like, you know, after that, people kind of started like being like, this is, this is not how we fix anything is by doing this. We got to like get out and organize. And people started like, you know, sharing information and I talked to so many like friends on the phone to ask for advice about you know oh there's a similar movement in your community like can you tell me more about it or like you did something like this in college in high school like you know can we talk so like yeah it's really cool and I've met a lot of like really cool people had a lot of really cool conversations and like that's something that's super cool and so you know like Thanks to everybody that's listened to me rant about this endlessly, but also that's offered a lot of like great advice and um, edited the millions of emails and letters and petitions I've written um, and like done all of that. Cause I definitely didn't just like do all of this on my own. Um, I also like, I'm so lucky the two women that I work alongside with at the learning council are amazing and they just go with my ideas and I feel like so supported. And um, it's also really special for me to, you know, have a relationship with them. One of them is um, also a Latina organizer and she is like one of the coolest people I know. She's so inspiring. Um, gosh, she should have been one of the, the people I said that I look up to for organizing. She is, she does everything in our community. It's it's incredible. She's a, she's a midwife. Um, she, you know, does all this crazy stuff at the state level for like comprehensive sex ed. She writes grants. She does racial justice work. They do you know, local farmers markets, they run meals to people that are food insecure, like, 
yeah, she's incredible. So, you know, a lot of this is just because I'm like surrounded by supportive people. And that ultimately is, you know, it's been a struggle with other relationships that have lost and all of this stuff. But I also think like, it's definitely solidified like the people I look up to my mentors and my friends that I still have. I yeah. love that. I, I think like the communal aspect of activism is so vital and people don't necessarily see it as a fundamental pillar of activism, but like you can't do it by yourself. It's just not mm -hmm. possible. It's also like, oh my God, it's draining and exhausting and you can't do it. And also therapy is great. Yeah, I love therapy. <laughs> In general, just plug for that. Um, because like, yeah, this work in some ways like has helped me kind of deal with like the experiences I had in high school, but also like, I'm never gonna fully understand those unless I like talk about it with not just like my friends. So mm. um, definitely don't underestimate the power of like community to support you, but also like getting professional help and relying on those things. Cause it is kind of scary, um, but yeah, ultimately like you, you can't be a good, organizer or a good friend or a good parent or whatever if like you're just completely sapped and not surrounded and not supported by people that yeah. care about you so yeah and it helps have a mountain bike yeah so you know <laughs> um helps having a mountain bike but it also doesn't uh doesn't replace the the community aspect that is so essential and I think that's one of the most beautiful things like I've seen this past 10 months I love that. Oh, that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so oh, much, Marissa, for chatting I'm with so me. I'm honored. You'll have to send me this. Um, yes, absolutely. I love, I love, oh my gosh, your your questions were great. Um, hey. I love the fun <laughs> ones too. Um, now everybody's going to know that I'm weird and I sleep with my feet out from under my covers off the edge. I'm literally of so scared of you. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to debate on Taylor Swift folklore being too peppy, you know where to find me. I'd like to thank Marissa again so much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, it was such a joy to talk with her. I think she had some really, really wonderful advice. Um, I particularly love what she said about setting boundaries and being able to say no. I think activists so much of the time have put into a position where they have to say yes to everything or else they feel like they're not doing enough. And sometimes you're doing even more by saying no and knowing what your movement is for and what you just don't have the energy or the capacity to do right now. So I really love that she brought that up and I really love that she carved out time in her day to talk with me. So thank you for listening to yet another episode and I'll see you next week.